Hello, you gorgeous bastard. The following episode contains some sexy and naughty language as well as spoilers. Kick back. Take off your trousers and please listen responsibly. Ears. Welcome to Beer Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where me and Brian go back and forth week after week surprising each other with what we're going to watch next. Pretty basic concept, right, Brian Guy? Very basic, but occasionally there's some surprises sprinkled in there. That's foreboding. Yeah. Put <laughs> <laughs> it lightly about what's going to happen at the end of this episode because it's another first. Get a lot of them. Hey, Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to uh, your, your new shittiest year. 2023, the shittiest year <laughs> since 2022. The one that you said, I'm going to do this and become a better person. Then you just don't because you're an adult and you realize that you're dead inside and you're done. <laughs> you are who you are. Nothing's molding you anymore. You're in your 30s. You don't change anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> That's some early 20s shit. That is early 20s shit. Where you still have, what's that? Uh, hope. That's what it is. Hope. I like hope. We're basically just like walking Pandora's boxes at this point. Where all of everything flew out and someone slammed it shut and they like left hope in there just a little bit. Just a tiny little bit. Just a tiny bit. And that's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you waking up in the morning. And then you're just like, someone just opened this fucking box. Let it out. I'm done. This got dark. <laughs> Well, how'd it get dark? Because we're talking about space, and space is a dark place. Space is so dark and quiet and vacuous. That's right, because this week was my pick, sure and was. I chose 1995's Apollo 13, directed by Ron fucking Howard. Richie Cunningham himself. Have you ever seen this? Of course I've seen Apollo 13. I think the last time I saw it, though, was in 1995. Really? I that long? And uh, I did not appreciate it then. I do now. Oh, well, that's good that you came around. This is like a weird movie for me because I remember the first time seeing this. And it was at my grandparents' house on Thanksgiving, probably in 1995. Yeah. And it was a weird movie about how, like, my dad was saying, hey, no talking. We're watching this thing. My uncle's like, shut the fuck up. And it was one of those that I put on a pedestal because it seemed like it was important to adults. Very serious movie for adults. Yes. I feel like I probably had the same same sort of thing the first time I saw it. Uh, I did not put it on a pedestal, though. I was like, this is boring. I can understand that one, and we're, we're going to get there. Because what, uh, like nine? I'm like really, really excited to talk about this one. You know I'm a space nerd. Yes, big time. So uh, this is right up my alley. Space movies have never really been my thing. Unless it's like something super corny and cheesy like an Armageddon. Well, Armageddon really is just a treat for the world. Or or just, you know, aliens in general. You, you throw aliens in there and all of a sudden I'm interested. But this, this is a, a genre that, that has taken me some time to get into. But this, this time, whoo boy. Sucked you right in. Yeah, sure did. Like the vacuum of space. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's a, uh, I'm glad this door didn't open or opened. I don't know. We'll get to the kid later. It was heartbreaking. That line I've never heard before, and it broke my heart. We'll yeah, absolutely. We will. We're going to get right into it. Story motivation direct from wikipedia.com uh, slash some things slash Apollo 13. Uh, friends, film. Sure. 
On July 20th, 1969, astronaut Jim Lovell, played by Tom fucking Hanks, hosts a party where guests watch Neil Armstrong's televised first steps on the moon from Apollo 11. And it's kind of a fucked up way that they set this all up because they started off with Apollo 1. Yeah. And like the dress rehearsal for Apollo 1, that ended up killing Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. Right. And it's such a dark way to open this thing. And speaking of foreboding, I mean, we know this is a disaster movie, but they started off with the ultimate disaster. They're just like, hey, uh, action and shit can go wrong. Shit can go wrong, and And it did go wrong very, very badly. Lovell, who orbited the moon on Apollo 8, tells his wife Marilyn, who's played by Kathleen fucking Quinlan, that he will return to the moon to walk on its surface. This actually bothered me a lot. Because it's almost just like an afterthought of like, yeah, I was on Apollo 8, we orbited the moon, we came home, it was great. So we went around, we saw it, we took some nice pictures, we came home. They were the first humans to do that. It should have been a much bigger deal in this movie. Probably should have, instead of just slapping a bunch of Apollo 8 logos on everything that Tom Hanks owns. Yes! But actually put some weight to that moment instead of just like a brief aside in this story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, Apollo 8. Uh, anyway, moving on. Three months later, as Lovell is conducting a VIP tour of NASA's vehicle assembly building, his boss, Deke Slayton, played by Chris Ellis, informs him that his crew will fly Apollo 13 instead of 14, swapping flights with Alan Shepard's crew. Just a little historical background on this. Deke Slayton, ex-astronaut, had a heart problem, couldn't fly in space. So they put him in charge of the astronaut scheduling, if you will. Yeah. Alan Shepard, first American in space, hadn't flown for a really long time. They didn't think he had enough training to go on to Apollo 13. So they said, let's something out for Jim Lovell, who had done a couple Gemini missions at this point. He had done one Apollo mission already. He had all the training there. Alan Shepard just didn't. So they said, switcheroo. Yeah, you know what? We'll send these guys on 13. You'll get 14. Maybe your ear thing will be worked out by then. Which is kind of a messed up thing also because like, whenever I go to work, the last thing I expect my boss tell me is, hey, you're going to go to the moon next week or something. <laughs> it's like, that's not even my line of professions. That's a real weird thing for you to say, boss. Like, Obviously, be- here it makes a lot more sense, but still, it's not something you expect to go to work and then come home with. Right, yeah, you go to work one day, it's like, hey, by the way, you know how you thought you were going to go to the moon in, like, I don't know, a year or so? We're moving it up six months. You know that weird tattoo that you got, wife, that said Apollo 14? Ooh. <laughs> Bad news. <laughs> You're going to have to sit under some lasers. <laughs> Lovell, Ken Mattingly, played by Gary fucking Sinise. He's really good in this. Ooh, he's so good. He got to they got his, his legs part. back. Lieutenant Dan. Now he's an astronaut, just like he said he would be. That's Forrest Gump. Almost exactly what he said. He said, I'm going to be a shrimp boat uh, skipper or something, and then I'm going to go fly to the moon with my magic legs. (laughs) Yeah, all of that. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe go to space in a few other movies. We'll see. (laughs) And Fred Hayes, played by Bill fucking Paxton. The whole team is here. Sort of. Sort of. They're, they're training for their mission. They are. <laughs> There's a Kevin Bacon who had sex with a he glass sh- and a beer bottle at one point. At the sure beginning did. Of this thing. So that was hot. 
He was like, hey, you see, see this? This is a moon thing, and this right here is a, it's a space thing. And what we do is put the bottle into the glass like a penis. And the girl he was talking to was like, <laughs> that's so funny and hot at the same time. You're Kevin Bacon. I like how they set this up because they set it up that Tom Hanks is like the professional family man. <laughs> Bill Paxton is just like the outgoing guy who loves to put on a show, having a great time. Gary Sinise, super professional. That's so professional. all he's about. Kevin Bacon fucks real hard. Likes to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Days before the launch, Mattingly is exposed to German measles, and the flight surgeon demands his replacement with Mattingly's backup, Jack Swigert. Of course, played by Kevin fucking Bacon. Fucking working on two levels this time. Yes, it is. <laughs> he is actually actively fucking when he gets the call that he's gonna be he's gonna be the new guy. It's very appropriate. It's super appropriate. Lovell resists breaking up his team, but relents when Slayton threatens to bump his crew to a later mission. It's like, all right, well, listen, I know we've only got a couple days, two days, but uh, you know. That's enough time for you to go to the moon, right? To know how to go to the moon. I know that you've been on the backup crew that you've been preparing this whole time, uh, but I'm going to need you to go to the moon in two days. That'd be great. Otherwise, we're, we're going to put Shepard back on this. He's going to go in two days prep time. On the, and then We're launching a goddamn rocket in two days. Who's on it? All right? I need somebody on this fucking rocket. And Kevin Bacon's like, yes! He loved it. He came all over his floor. Sure did. Probably right after they cut away. As the launch date approaches, Marilyn has a nightmare about her husband dying in space and tells him that she will not go to the Kennedy Space Center to see him off for an unprecedented fourth launch. And then she later changes her mind and surprises him by showing up. Yeah, we knew she was going to do that. She's a good wife. She's a great wife. She's a team player. She understands what it is to be a NASA wife. Yeah, even if she does occasionally lose her wedding ring in the shower at a motel. You can get another. <laughs> you can... <laughs> They're just things. They're you just get a, new It's things. a symbol. That's all it is. Right. That's not foreboding at all. No, it's not. I mean, in my basement, I have a chair <laughs> that my friend Chris has sat on, and he lost his wedding ring in it. We have no idea where it is inside this chair. Brian was there. It's we don't in the know basement. where this ring is. To be. And you want to know what he did that night? Because it's just a symbol? He went on Amazon.com and ordered another ring. He went on Amazon and ordered a new symbol. Because his first symbol also came from Amazon.com. Well, how about that? That's thinking ahead. It is thinking ahead. On lunch day, flight director Gene Krantz, Ed fucking Harris in Houston's Mission Control Center gives the go for launch. I get chills seeing this, especially oh. seeing like Gene Krantz, just because he's such a huge staple of NASA history. Yeah. But any go for launch is just ridiculously exciting. It's so cool. I mean, they go through the whole thing. They go through the checklists. They're, they're you know, go for this. Oh, yeah, it's a go. Go, flight go, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, now we're doing the countdown. And yeah, this is happening. Well, they build up so much tension. And this is a movie where we know what's going to happen. Exactly. This is all true events. We know how it's going to go. And they still manage to just eke out every last bit of like, oh, God, what's going to happen? They do. And it's because astronauts and NASA is ridiculously fucking cool, people. It's cool stuff. It really is. This is exciting. You're putting people into space. That should Outer always space. be exciting. Always. <laughs> this might have been the movie that made me stop saying I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, actually. 
Oh, because you realize that shit can go wrong up there. Shit can go real sideways real fast, and you have to be real smart. And, well, just let that one hang, Just let it hang there. That's the right move. As the Saturn V rocket climbs through the atmosphere, a second-stage engine cuts off prematurely, but the craft reaches its Earth-parking orbit. And they're like, hey, that must have been our glitch for the mission. We're good. We're fine. Everything is going to be A-OK from here on out. <laughs> yep. Don't let us know how far into the movie we are. Everything's going to be great. Ain't nothing bad going to happen today, do we? After the third stage fires again and sends Apollo 13 to the moon, Swagger performs the maneuver to turn the command module Odyssey around to dock with the lunar module Aquarius and pull it away from the spent rocket. I love this so much because you're starting to get into like the nitty gritty of what it takes yeah. to do what they do. These are all test pilots for the most part. And that's how they became NASA astronauts. You have to have a screw loose in order to say, see that, that black up there? I'm going I'm to go there. <laughs> I want to go where there's no atmosphere and try to maneuver stuff with uh, rockets and just, you know, little, little puffs of fire to move around. I want an explosion under my ass that's going to put me into zero gravity. I want to be able to control the roll and yaw and all of that. <laughs> you know that there's like a pilot out there who just got really turned on hearing you say that. Oh, yeah. I just want to control that roll and yaw. <laughs> it's like some sort of like pilot BDSM. And the pitch and all of that. All sorts of, because you're working in three dimensions now, baby. There's no gravity pulling on one of them. Is that how that works? I'm going to pretend. In three dimensions because of yeah. your gravity? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, normally you're, you're northwest, east, south, um, not in that order probably, but uh, <laughs> forward, back, six directions? I don't know. But now you got to worry about more. I want everybody to rewind about five minutes where Brian said, you have to be real smart to do that. Yeah. And then I'm just going to let that hang there. That's a good idea. Go back to that. Remember? <laughs> Everyone said I wasn't real smart. Three dimensions exist uh, on Earth, too. It's true. Um, this feels a lot like what Jim Lovell said at the beginning of this movie, how there was a time before we had a man on the moon and a time after we had a man on the moon. There was a time where everyone still thought Brian was a smart boy. Oh, when and now was we're, that? We're in that after. We've that arrived was... in that after. <laughs> Guys, gravity. Uh, it doesn't exist in space. That's the main point I was getting to. You got to use like a... Thrusters. But magnets do exist in space. Explain and that. How do they work? No idea. No clue. No one will ever know. It is the equivalent of the scientific Tootsie Roll Pop. <laughs> Three days into the mission, by order of mission control, Swigert turns on the liquid oxygen stirring fans. An electrical short causes a tank to explode, emptying its contents into space and sending the craft tumbling. I like the way that they do this because. Like, you see Kevin Bacon reaching towards the camera, and you're like, oh, this is the thing! This is the thing, the music gets all ominous! Oh, yeah, all of a sudden, Jimmy Horns just starts <laughs> swelling up, and you're like, oh, something's gonna happen now. Jimmy Horns, I didn't think was putting on a show, like, at all. Until he started to. Until that whole score has been stuck in my head now for three days, and I went, yeah, I think maybe Jimmy Horns put on a show. It's a subtle show, but it's a show. It's a real good show. The other oxygen tank is soon found to be leaking. So consumables manager Cy Liebergott, played by Clint fucking Howard, because whenever he shows up, it's a treat. It's the biggest treat you can imagine. Because he's got that face. He does have that face. Boy, does he have that face. 
He convinces Kranz that shutting off two of Odyssey's three fuel cells offers the best chance to stop the leak, uh, but he's wrong. That doesn't work. And that's crazy to me because this is a pretty condensed version of what actually happened on Apollo 13. Yeah. To kind of just make a movie out of it. But I like how he's like, yeah, just shut off that shit and it'll fix the... Oh, shit, it didn't. <laughs> Crap. Huh. How about that? Well, here's a fun fact. How are we going to get him home now? Because with only one fuel cell, mission rules dictate that the moon landing has to be aborted. They're not going to land on the moon now. No, and that's really sad because Jim Lovell even has to like question, like, did you just say to turn those off? And they're like, yeah, dude, turn it off. And he's like, we just lost the moon. Shit. There goes Which, the moon. Jim. Jimmy boy. Not your biggest problem that you're dealing with right now. <laughs> I'm real bummed that I'm not going to get to grab some moon dirt. <laughs> you should be real bummed that you might not live. <laughs> be pretty badass if you crashed in the moon and died, though. No one's done that yet. That's true. That's how you get in those history books, like higher up than like Apollo 11, obviously, is a big well, one. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an important one. Apollo 8 should be a big one. In theory, but they just kind of brush over that. And then Apollo 13 obviously is a big one because the movie was made. But you crashed that bad boy to the moon? Hell yeah! You're definitely going down in the history books. Absolutely you are! <laughs> Apollo 8 probably was a big deal right up until Apollo 11. Oh, without a doubt, it was. But And then it was like, who cares about 8? They landed on it. 8 just kind of circled it. What's Who so exciting cares? about circling it? Oh, we got some great pictures that we can use as backgrounds in movies when we make them in a few years. <laughs> I think the crazier part about all of this is that this movie even addresses it with Apollo 13, how they like they cut the transmission, the broadcast, and they're just like, yeah, no one gives a shit about this anymore. Yeah, nobody cares. Nobody's watching this. They'd rather watch the things that they had on instead. Still mind-boggling. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. Lovell and Hayes power up Aquarius to use it as a lifeboat, while Swigert shuts down Odyssey to save its battery power for the return to Earth. There's a lot of uh, writing down stuff, second-guessing math, uh, people in Houston rechecking the math, giving thumbs up, they had the math right, it's all fun. We're, we're, you know, moving stuff over from one part of the ship to the other. Whoa! But it's intense. It is very intense. And especially because it's in zero gravity. Yeah, but like actually. But like actually because they ended up doing like a test flight with the actors on the KC-135, the Vomit Comet. The I Vomit Comet. So much. So good. But then Ron Howard's just like, you know, I could film a fucking movie on this thing. And then they did. They sure did. And they took something like 600 uh, up and downs on it or whatever it was. In order to achieve all these shots, they can only do 25 seconds 25 at a time. 25 seconds at a time. And they ended up with almost four hours of footage. So they, they did it a lot. They did do it a lot. And that's crazy to me how they had to plan out their shots so that they could only do like that shortened amount of time. And then they had to brace. Yeah. So they wouldn't go slamming into walls and stuff as the plane kind of leveled out and gravity kicked back in. 612 zero-G maneuvers. My God, that's impressive. On the Vomit Comet. Apparently, it was Steven Spielberg's idea to use it. I heard he's pretty good at making movies. Ron Howard was like, oh man, it's going to be hard to, to realistically do this weightlessness stuff. And Spielberg was like, well, you could always use the KC-135. He just had that in his back pocket ready to go. Because, <laughs> you know, Spielberg going to Spielberg. Kranz charges his team with bringing the astronauts home, declaring failure is not an option. It's out of his book, too. It's a great book. 
He actually didn't ever really say it, but it was something that kind of came up in post interviews. And then he was like, yeah, I'm going to use that. I like it. If you can wear a vest the way he did, uh, say whatever you want. You say you say whatever you want. out of that vest, that custom white vest with the Apollo 13 patch embroidered on it, made lovingly by his wife. I love it. I love it so much. Consumables manager John Aaron, played by Lauren Dean, recruits Mattingly to help him improvise a procedure to restart Odyssey for the landing on Earth. This is pretty convenient that they had the astronaut, the pilot who was supposed to go, who couldn't go, they throw him into the simulator in order to figure out the whole situation. He says, I want everything that they have up in that spaceship right now. Right down to the flashlight. Turn the temperature down. It has to be exact because... We need to figure out how to save these guys. I like how he has just this sense of duty. Yes. That he doesn't rest until they rest. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And these are his buds. He trained with Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell the whole time. So obviously he's down with it. And with Swigert, he's just like, yeah, he's a good pilot. I want to be there, but I mean, you you could be in worse hands, I guess. Yeah. I mean, even Swigert's like, I wish you were here instead. He's like, I bet you do. As the crew watches the moon pass beneath them, Lovell laments his lost dream of walking on its surface, then turns his crew's attention to the business of getting home. I like how he has to like snap them back to reality. Yeah, because they're, they're just awestruck by the moon. How could they not be? And they even say, like, Jim, you want to come look? He's like, I've seen it already, man. I don't need that. And then, of course, he does go look because it's the fucking moon. Because it's the fucking moon. He's like, yeah, I already named that mountain after my wife. I've seen that. But yeah, all right, I'll, I'll look. With Aquarius running on minimal electrical power and rationed water supply, the crew suffers from freezing conditions, and Hayes develops a urinary tract infection. He says because he was sharing a urine tube with Swigert. With Swigert, yeah. And that Swigert gave him the clap, which is just funny. That's hilarious. (laughs) Think about Kevin Kevin Bacon Bacon fucks. Giving someone the clap in space? Apparently, uh, in actuality, it was that uh, Hayes never really wanted to remove the, the little sleeve. That they use for peeing in. So he just kept his dick sleeve on. He kept his dick sleeve on and he got real sick because of it. Can't do that. Like, I understand with like circumcisions and stuff, everyone's like, you got to get rid of the foreskin. It could become unsanitary in certain kind of conditions. Uh, Fred Hayes skipped that day in health class. (laughs) Sanitary conditions? I don't know what that means. I'm going to the space. I'm going to space. There's I'm no going to space, and I'm space? wearing my dick sleeve the whole time. <laughs> it just makes peeing that much easier. It does, but uh, kids, take your dick sleeves off every now and then. Let it air out, if nothing else. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to end up with a nasty UTI, and you might freeze to death on your way home from the moon. You never know. Crazier things have not happened, actually. Nope, Crazier things have not happened. That's about as crazy as it gets. <laughs> I could just imagine like that scene of like chasing Amy where they're telling their their sex stories or whatever, like at the bar, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was uh, giving someone a blowjob or whatever," and then the car started moving and my knees got torn apart, and then Fred Hayes comes in. Yeah, well, I got chlamydia in space. <laughs> Wouldn't take off my dick sleeve. <laughs> Kevin Bacon was peeing in my pee hole. What? That's not how it happens. Nope. <laughs> Michael Douglas pops out. Now he's an astronaut. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what you got to be careful about. You know, <laughs> you know what I did before I went to space? I ate out my wife and now I got space cancer of the throat. 
Michael Douglas, famous for eating out Catherine Zeta-Jones and nothing else. Nothing else at this point. <laughs> Everyone's like, he was an actor at some point? Weird. Swagger suspects Mission Control is concealing the fact that they are doomed. Hayes angrily blames Swigert's inexperience for the accident, but Level squelches the argument. Because he's a professional, damn it. God damn it. Focus. We got to get home. And you guys yelling at each other isn't going to help that. They got like space madness. Space madness. On account of the lack of uh, oxygen. That's not great. You want to have oxygen. Cold. Yeah, and you also want to have heat. Apparently, this, are important. this argument never actually happened. Uh, and Swigert, phenomenal pilot. Everybody knows it. He wrote the book on, you know, something. He's a book writer. Yep, in, in probably. In terms of NASA stuff. <laughs> so, like, there was really no no hostility towards him. His inexperience was was not an actual problem. But when they filmed this scene, Ron Howard was like, look, there's only so many times that I can show a bunch of guys really tense and sweating foreheads. So, you know, we got to do something here. There's only so many times I can show a ship breaking. <laughs> look, they're really tense. See how much sweat is on their forehead? I already gave one of you the clap. I'm trying to raise the stakes here, guys. I realized I peaked too fast with the clap thing. Well, it's going to get a whole lot more interesting because as the Aquarius's carbon dioxide filter runs out, concentrations of the gas approach a dangerous level. Ground control improvises a Rube Goldberg device to make the command module's incompatible filter cartridges work in the lunar module. I love this. I have to make a square peg fitting around hole, realistically. Yeah, yeah. They, they have to make a dick sleeve for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for them to breathe. But they have to do with all the shit that like one guy dumps on the table, and then they do it? Yeah. Like, they just, they do it. Because like, these are real smart boys. Tear the cover off your mission log and go to work. With Aquarius's navigation system shut down, the crew makes a vital course correction manually by steering the lunar module and controlling its engine. They're doing it all by sight. They are, and I don't understand how this quite works because they were trying to kind of wrap around the Earth to get to the crashdown site. Yeah. Because they have to come in at a certain angle so they don't either bounce off the atmosphere or, or burn, burn up, up from going too fast. Right. So they decide to do a burn... And they have to keep Earth in the window in order to kind of keep it aligned. Yeah. But I don't quite understand how this works because you can't just like vaguely aim at Earth and say like, that's good enough. <laughs> we got to aim for a fixed point. And so we're going to pick the biggest fixed <laughs> the biggest point thing we that can we can find. find. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know. Um I mean, Tom, even when I, I aim my telescope outside, and I got a big motherfucking telescope. I got huge. an Orion XT8 Thompsonian. It's badass. Google it. It's huge. You can look at Jupiter and see the four Galilean moons. No problem. Mm -hmm. But after about a minute, they're gone. Yeah. Because obviously the Earth is rotating. And things in space And move. I'm rotating with it. And we all are spinning. But if you aim at the Earth and you were going in a fixed straight line, like, you're not going to hit that same spot just from looking out a window. Well, look, I'm going to assume that Tom Hanks knows what he's doing. Okay. Because he's- That's he's all I need to hear. A very good astronaut from all accounts. And you know what? Spoiler alert, they made it. So- <laughs> All right, so story motivation, that's probably a one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly done here. <laughs> 
Mattingly and Aaron struggle to find a way to power up the command module systems without drawing too much power, and finally read the procedure to Swigert, who restarts Odyssey by drawing the extra power from Aquarius. They're like, ah, we need those four amps. And they're like, wait, can't we just take it from the other module we have? Yeah, it turns out they can. Yeah, they could. After like hours and hours and hours trying to figure this out. Yeah, no problem. And the whole time, Gene Kranz is just like, just give me something. Like, give me the first couple chapters. I don't need the ending yet. I don't need the ending yet. Like, what kind of publisher is this? This is how M. Night Shyamalan actually writes everything. <laughs> Look, the ending literally doesn't matter. As long as it's unexpected, we've got a movie. It's true. I have one guy who's writing the first two acts. I'll write the third. We're not going to talk at all in between. I don't I don't want to know what he's writing. All, he, all I have to know is that it's taking place in Philadelphia. That's it. Uh, this is a... Great movie about a child psychologist. Oh, how touch it. Also, he was dead the whole time. He was dead Where the, the fuck time. did that come from, M. Knight? That's oh, not and, what and I wrote. Here's my scene. This is a touching tale, M. Knight. Then he Shyamalan'd all over it. Speaking of M. Night Shyamalan and, and The Sixth Sense, weirdly enough, character actor Chris Ellis, who plays Deke Slayton. Yeah. You might remember him as the guy who shot uh, Bruce Willis at the beginning of The Sixth Sense. That's right. How about that? <laughs> So when the crew jettisons the service module, they are surprised by the extent of the damage, raising the possibility that the ablative heat shield was compromised. That's not ever what you want to You think. don't want your heat shield to be compromised because that's how you become a very crispy boy. Yes, it is. As they release Aquarius and re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, no one is sure that Odyssey's heat shield is intact. No one at all. They just kind of go for it. I love this line from Tom Hanks who says, it's been a privilege flying with you guys. And it is so touching because... It's such a professional line from yes. him, but also the sentiment is there. Like, we've been through some shit. Yeah. Like, you had the clap. You gave that guy the clap. <laughs> the ship broke. And meanwhile, Gary Sinise is back on Earth, does not have the measles at all. Nope, does not. It sucks. <laughs> but I really like how they say, like, yeah, we're going to know in about four minutes. Usually radio silence is three. If they're yep. not back by then, it sucks to suck. Yeah, all of this movie was for a very upsetting ending. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a really ballsy thing about like how M. Night would come into the writer's room just like, I've solved it! They're all dead! <laughs> I've got an idea for the ending. <laughs> this is a real thing that happened, M. Night. I don't care. They're all going to die. It'd be a, uh, an interesting twist. It'd be a pretty big downer for like everybody, especially Jim Lovell, who was still alive today. Right, watching the movie. To learn like, that he died. Wait a minute. <laughs> in 1972, or whatever <laughs> year it was. The tense period of radio silence due to ionization blackout is longer than normal, but when the astronauts report all is well, the world watches Odyssey splash oh, down man. and celebrates their return. What a moment. How you have like the screen in mission control and you just see the parachutes go. Yeah. And everyone just like tenses up. And I just got like goosebumps just thinking about it. Oh, it's so good. And Jim Lovell just says, Houston, good to see you. So good. We're back, baby. Yeah, we did it. We made it. We're on Earth where there's gravity as previously determined by not an astronaut, Brian. That's right. <laughs> They're living in three dimensions again. Yeah, good for them. Or They're whatever Brian said earlier <laughs> back where the the gravitational pull is pulling that's right as helicopters bring the crew aboard the uss iwo jima for a hero's welcome lovell's voiceover describes the course of the explosion and the subsequent careers of hayes swigert mattingly and Kranz. and he wonders if and when mankind will return to the moon 
I love that last voiceover. It's really, really corny, but in the best way. It's super corny, but uh, it's Tom Hanks, so it works. It does work, but I like how they address in this movie that no one really gives a damn anymore about yeah. like NASA. The space race is over. It was won. Right. We're done here. This is just another mission. Now any stupid billionaire with a with a you know couple billion to burn can go into space. Well, he did burn it. Remember he bought the Twitter and then he burned that down and then Tesla stock <laughs> crashed and burned just like a Tesla would? What an idiot. I was talking I about I was talking about now. the Amazon guy though. Oh, yeah, let him go to the moon. That's fine. <laughs> I don't give a damn at this point. <laughs> Richard Branson, that's his name, right? Oh yeah, he's one of them too. He's a virgin. Did you know that? <laughs> he puts it on everything he owns. So, like, he's like leaning into it at he's, this point. <laughs> Guys, virgins are cool. I don't know if you heard. You want to know it's lame? Fucking. Fuck Kevin Bacon. I have Jets, <laughs> space program, my own cell phone service. Like, I'm cool, guys. Look at my long hair. He is so cool, though. He probably he like, definitely fucks. He, well, he 100%. He's probably fucking right now. Probably and I don't right even care now. when you listen to this episode. Just it's assume true. that when we just said that, Richard Branson is like just balls deep in something. Yeah. I just now realize that the virgin name is probably ironic. <laughs> probably is because he fucks the most. More than Kevin Bacon. Somehow. Those, find your six degrees of separation with Richard Branson. I'm pretty sure that's called Eskimo Brothers. Yeah, and but- I'm sure they are. <laughs> Like, that would actually be a lot more interesting, is finding a Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with Eskimo Brothers. Six Degrees of Eskimo Brothers with Richard Branson? I'm, I'm in. Let's play. But it's, like, not fun, though, because, uh, in theory, everybody listening to this show is, like, too removed. Not from the fucking, <laughs> just from from the Kevin Bacon. Right. Because I'm literally one step, because I've worked That's with true. It. But the fucking one, that makes it interesting. Mm. That changes the whole game. It's a brand new game. Like, Kira Sedgwick's like, I don't like this game. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna learn some things. Oh boy! So story of motivation, easy ten. Ten. It's fantastic. It's a real story. For us, knowing the ending and how it goes, it is so tense throughout and still so emotional. It's amazing how much they can take a true story and ramp up those emotions. Brilliant. So good. Ten. Let's talk about casting. It's ridiculously good. Hanks. Bacon, Sinise, Paxton. Paxton is the only one I don't like. Ed Harris. And Paxton, I don't mind. I just think he's like they're doing a disservice to Fred Hayes a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Well, they could have done a a worse disservice and they could have cast Charlie Sheen. Yeah, that would have been much, much worse. All right, fair enough. I am going to go (laughs) with a nine. A nine. That is high. It is really high, but the casting in this is nearly flawless. It's so good. It's so it, it, right down to uh, Ron Howard's mother, Jean Spiegel Howard, as Blanche Lavelle, who just delivers some of the best stuff in this movie. She did, and she had a couple real ugly kids. Like we should talk about that a little bit. How the Howard children <laughs> the are not lookers. But then you get down a generation, you get a Bryce Dallas, and it's like oh, you do. Everything's forgiven. Well, did you see? Gene Spiegel Howard? She's a smoke show. Oh, absolutely. And we all know that attractiveness skips a generation, right? Is that how it works? (laughs) Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Gene Spiegel Howard's just sitting there in her little chair. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to have some bald fucks with gap teeth, and then we're going to have another smoke show in the family. 
if my granddaughter's a dishwasher, she'll be the fucking hottest dishwasher you've ever seen. <laughs> and I'll make sure that she takes the dick sleeve off if she's a boy. What? <laughs> uh, apparently, Jim Level wanted uh, Kevin Costner, and they never even approached him. They were just like, no, we got Hanks. We're good. We're fine. And John Travolta was like, what about me? And they're like, fuck off, John. We're using Hanks. <laughs> That's the right answer, though. When in doubt, like when you can use Hanks, use Hanks. Yeah, unless you're filming an Elvis movie. <laughs> yeah, then don't use Hanks. Don't use Tom Hanks. <laughs> so distracting. Nine for casting. Let's talk about protagonist. NASA. NASA. Realistically, I feel like this is like a team effort. Not so much Jim Lovell, even though this is based on this is, his yeah. book, Lost Moon. Right. Maybe it is Jim Lovell. It feels a lot like it's Jim Lovell. And all he wants to do is walk on the moon. Who doesn't, though? I mean, after this, not so much. That's a good point. I really like it. I wish they focused more on the backstory of him a little bit more to yeah. have that higher emotional stake of, like, I've already been here. Yeah. Apollo 10 had it much worse, though, because Apollo 10 was the lunar module, like the lander test. Yeah. And they actually went into the lunar lander and they stopped 50,000 feet short oh, and then went back up because that was all the test was. That's miserable. That has to be like fucking miserable, knowing that like Neil Armstrong is just at home just going, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for testing it for ah, me, boys. Perfect. I'll take all that glory. Nom, 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 nom. Biggest blue planets you've ever seen. Absolutely. Whole <laughs> bunch of Neptunes in those pants from that day forward. So protagonist, what are we thinking here? He does not accomplish his mission, his initial Nobody. mission. But no, he but does. he gets them home and he's a test pilot and it's even more impressive that yeah. he got them home. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say it was him that got him that got them home. It was no, it was a team was effort. Definitely right, so a team effort. Seven, seven. I don't know why. It feels um sure. He didn't land on the moon. <laughs> he didn't land on the moon, and you get points deducted for that. Right. Antagonist. It's uh, an oxygen tank, sort of space. Not really. No. I mean, the ship is actively dying around them. That's true. It, it's... And space really isn't playing much into this. Other than just being the vessel for which the destruction occurs. Right. And they find out later that there was like a coil that was faulty, that was like put on this ship two years before Level even got named commander of it. Exactly. Yeah. Still a seven. So really the coil was the antagonist all along. Yeah, the whole time. The real enemy was the coils we put in along the way. <laughs> yes. Seven. Screenplay. William Broyles Jr. adapted yeah. this from. Uh, Jim Lovell's book and Jeffrey Kluger, Lost Moon. This is a true story, but it has been adapted. It has been cinematized, if you will. It's been 90s cinematized, if you will. Yes. And that's the part that bothered me the most, because after I got done watching this, it, and it's 140 minutes. It's not a short movie. It's a long, especially for that time frame. That is a long It movie. is, but the first thing that went through my head was, this movie should be three hours minimum. It definitely feels like it could be longer. It needs to be longer in my mind. And that's one of the things that bugged me the most about it. Because you have Jim Lovell telling his kid, like, it takes four days to go to the moon. Yeah. And then shit breaks after three days. And then they have to orbit the moon and come back four days. But it all feels like everything's taking place in just a few hours. Which yeah. is weird. 
it is hard to show a passing of time when it's always dark out. I completely agree there. But with all the intercutting to the earth stuff, you have the chance to show it. Right, right. But everybody at NASA is awake in this lit mission control. They are, but I have to imagine that at some point someone like went home. Like you could dive into another character yeah. at some point and get the stakes from their viewpoint in mission control. Or you could dive more into the psyche of the astronauts that are going through this in space that are just saying, like, yeah, we're cold. This sucks. Yeah. Because oh, that's what man. they kind of keep going back to. Look at how bad Bill Paxton looks. Man, he's he looks sick. terrible. He is. But that's the part that bugged me the most. But there are like a lot of nice touches in the screenplay, especially how Jim Lovell's kid is asking about the Apollo One accident. Right. And he's explaining like, yeah, the hatch didn't open and they fried in there. And the first thing that the kid asks upon the mom telling the son, like, there's been an accident, he says, was it the door? Like, that was right on his mind. Like, that is horrifying. Heartbreaking. And one of his daughters, the reaction that she has when they're telling his mom about what was happening, when she breaks down and the mom has to comfort her, I was like, oh, God, right in the heart. Right in the heart. But then also he's got another son at military school who they introduced three quarters of the movie. (laughs) Out of nowhere. And it's just another layer. That's fine. But it's a weird layer to throw in. It is a weird layer. He shows up at the beginning in the party scene when they're for the Apollo 11. And he's like, yeah, you got to get your hair cut. And then they don't talk about him again until he shows up at the end of the movie, like watching the TV, like, oh, I hope dad lives. I think the screenplay leaves me wanting more. Okay. I'm going to go with a six. I like six. And here's what I'm going to counter with. Okay. Houston, we have a problem. It's one of the great lines in cinema history now. Yes. And it was not the actual delivery of what was said within the mission transcripts. No, it's not. And the weirdest part about that line watching it this time is that it's said directly off a cut. There is no room for Tom Hanks to kind of lean into the line at all, which was really interesting. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. All right. Seven. That gets a bump. Seven. For sure. Also, when when Bill Paxton says he could eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros, that line is courtesy of Gary Busey, who was just visiting set that day. (laughs) Great. Uh, and had previously used the line of point break. Six, again, because Gary Busey. I'm keeping it at a seven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about style and tone. Ten. Ten. Easy, easy, easy ten. Yeah. Apparently, the mission control room was built for the film on the ground floor, and one of the NASA employees who was a consultant for the film said that it was so realistic that when he would leave at the end of the day, he would look for the elevator before remembering he was not actually in com- mission control. Well, it's freaky whenever you walk onto a film set. You get lost pretty quickly if it's done right. It's so weird. Yeah. So I can't even imagine, like, you're going to work, but also it's a set. But it's fake work. And then you're, like, convinced that it's actually work. Yeah. And then the real Jim Lovell saw the film and found the CGI work so convincing that he believed the filmmakers had uncovered uh, unseen NASA footage. That's amazing to me. Which is just, I mean, that's compliments to the chef. Oh, fuck it. 11. Because 11. Vomit Comet. Vomit Comet is, yeah, yeah. 11 for style and tone. Let's talk about Ron Howard. Let's talk about Ron Howard. He does a great job with this movie because you do get this claustrophobic feeling even at NASA in this giant mission control. Yeah. And it kind of mirrors the claustrophobic feeling in Odyssey and Aquarius with Apollo 13 up there. Right. 
I think that he does such a wonderful job with this. He gets the most out of everybody in this movie. Absolutely. He manages to make math interesting again. Or for the first time, because Beautiful Mind does for like another six years, but. Not only does he make math interesting, he makes double checking even more interesting than the math. They had to have all the thumbs up, and you're just like, oh, God. Oh, oh God. Catch a mistake. What this if, would be horrible. What if Gary over here is like, oh, I got a different number. Where's Goodwill Hunting when you need him? Mad Damon. <laughs> I'm going to go with an eight. I like eight. I was going to say eight anyway, because if you had tried to go nine, I was going to tell you that Ron Howard liked to refer to his stars as actronauts on the I set. I am happy you told me that after I said an eight. Because <laughs> that's the quick way to lose a point. Actronauts. Eight for director. Music. Jimmy fucking horns. James Horner. It's really good. It's ridiculously subtle. It's been stuck in my head for days, and I didn't think that there was anything to it while watching. And while watching, I was like, okay, this is this is good. It's not great. And then, yeah, since watching, it has just been right there. Another seven. That is another seven. We're just racking up sevens. Let's talk about the box office. It's enormous. <laughs> it's pretty huge. This movie came out in June, late June of 1995. Had an initial budget of $52 million. Opening weekend, it made $25 million, which is not a huge opening weekend. But over the course of the first week, it made $46 million, which is almost its entire budget. It opened uh, ahead of Pocahontas and Batman Forever, which had been in the box office for three weeks. Uh, number four was another movie that came out the same week, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You had to get that one out there, didn't you? I did. And number five was Judge Dredd. Also, Congo, The Bridges of Madison County, Casper, Braveheart, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. What a week. Yeah, we'll go with that. I, I just noticed this movie is rated PG. This movie is rated PG, and that was wild to me. Like, they absolutely said fucking space. Like, this feels like 70s PG. That's very, very fair. When there wasn't a PG-13. Because this is an intense movie. It's a ridiculously intense movie. But it has, you know, that historical bit to it where it's like you're learning something. Yeah, we'll go for, with that. For the kids. Uh, this movie made 683% of its budget, $355 million throughout its run, which obviously is going to put it at, at least a 10 uh, based on whatever scale we're using now. Yeah, we'll leave it at a 10. That seems like a good spot. I do have a proposed change in scale. Oh! A little housekeeping. Hit a little me. housekeeping, yeah. Uh, I figured we would move everything up 25. So we, initially we had 25%, 25 to 49, 50 to 74, et cetera. Yeah. Started at 50. So if it's 50 or less, it's a bomb. It's a zero. Okay. 50 to 75 is one. 75 to 99 is a two. And that continues I'm sold on this. Yeah, all the this way is... up to uh, 199, which is a six. Yeah, I hope this is a good correction. This seems like it a little better. It feels like a, a move in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so 199 gets to six, and then I expanded the categories a little bit. So seven is 200 to 250. Ooh, all right. Eight would be 250 to 300. Nine is 300 to 500, and 10 would be a 500 plus. That's insane. So 500 plus percent. Yeah. You earned a 10. So what do we got then for this one? 683%. That's a 10. Boom. And our final category is impact on the industry. Large. Large. This thing was nominated for nine Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, Best Score, Best Sound, and Best Visual Effects, which it lost to Babe, 
Have you ever seen Babe, though? <laughs> it's Babe. Have you ever seen Babe, though? Yes, I've seen Babe. This had better visual effects. Well, not wrong. They convinced the <laughs> astronaut that it was unseen footage from the actual launch. Yeah, but I can imagine Jim Lovell watching Babe like, holy shit, that pig's talking! That pig is talking. Uh, it did win Best Film Editing and Best Sound of those nine. I'm going to go with a nine. Okay. I don't think it gets over the hump to a 10 because Jurassic Park did come out two years before this, <laughs> and that is kind of looked at as the next step Yes, in terms of filmmaking. Yes. And I think one thing that actually hurts this movie a little bit in terms of the impact on the industry is we're only two years away from Titanic. That's true. Which raised the bar again in terms of filmmaking. So yeah. this really is a good middle step in terms of special effects. Uh, CGI, kind of practical effects being used at the There's same time. There's so many practical effects in, in use here, and it shows. I'm okay going with a nine. I think a nine is good, yeah. And it I is, know I put this movie on a pedestal myself. Well, I mean, it's a hard lot of not people to. do. This movie is so good. I see it as a perfect stepping stone between Jurassic Park and Titanic. I mean, it's so good that Roger Ebert even gave this thing four out of four stars. He said, this is a powerful story. One of the year's best films told with clarity and a remarkable technical detail and acted without pumped up histrionics. It's about men trying to do a job and doing one better than they could have imagined. The buried message is when we dialed down the space program, we lost something crucial to our vision. Hmm. Which I like quite That's a bit. That's interesting. This is my long-winded way of still saying nine. That is... The longest-winded way of saying nine, and it is a nine. That's going to give Apollo 13 a total score of a too low 85. That is a much too low score of an 85, and that's actually well below the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes at I 96%. Believe that. And it's only two points below the 87% Whew. audience score. Wow. we got to be more careful now after last week, you know? We do. Uh, I actually had a glass of whiskey over the weekend and it did not go well i believe that so i don't know who actually ruined me was it kirk cameron and his saving of christmas or <sighs> was it the griswolds with their christmas vacation uh, i know what ruined me and it was not having lunch or dinner that'll do it also i did start editing uh, the drunk cut i guess we'll call it at this uh, point i can only imagine and i know we said we'll put it out on patreon and we won't because <laughs> we promised you guys main channel so, damn it, we'll deliver main channel. I don't know when yet. Yeah. I don't it, know when. It's probably going to take a while to get through. It's not an easy edit. <laughs> but oh, that's, that's surprising. Do we stumble a lot? Slur our words? Uh, just a little. Just if you little. listen to our Patreon, uh, you know that by the end of that episode, we were already in a way. So You guys will hear that sometime in the future. <laughs> I don't know when yet. It'll be there. It'll, it'll eventually land. It is incoherent. I guess that brings us to what we're talking about next week. And Dave, I believe this is our first guest episode. This will be our first guest episode. And this guest that you guys have heard on our previous show, The Cape Podcasters, a number of times. <laughs> it is Kyle from the Experience Grind podcast. Hey! Hey! And he decided that he was going to submit his pick because when a guest comes on they get to pick what they want us to talk about with them and we don't get we to know about it beforehand. no idea it is so he actually mailed me an envelope to my home this is amazing and it's sealed it is completely sealed i have not opened this yet and he yelled at me and said you need to call me right when you're done with this episode and we will we will because i am so curious within it feels like i like 
like a thank you card in there almost. Oh. So are you ready to hear what Kyle from the Experience Grind podcast wants to talk about next week with us? I'm so excited to find out. All right. Let's open this thing. Nice blue envelope. Bright blue. I wonder if that's a clue. It is a Hallmark card inside. Oh, yes. <laughs> he went the whole way with it. Um, it got better. It is uh, a couple pears on this, along with some blueberries that says, so sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this motherfucker wrote two words on the top of it. Brian, do you want to read them? Dude. Sweet. He said, reaching out with hearts that care and wishing peace for you. Hey, boys, beer me. Dude, where's my car? Hell yes. Kyle, I love you. You're a goddamn monster. That is a pick. That is exactly Ah. how you come on to the show. That is. Guns a blazing. 100% how it's meant to be done. So next week, dude, where's my car? Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for our very first Beer Me a Board game where we're going to be doing a PAX recap with our friends Sean and Ryan. Sean also from the Experience Grind podcast. So And Ryan formerly of it. So, you know, we're getting all the boys on this month. We are covering all the bases. Email us your questions and comments at beermeamoviepod at gmail.com or follow us on social media at beermeamovie on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, and beermeamoviepod on Twitter. And, of course, on Facebook, we're putting up our posts again so you can ask your questions and leave your comments about what we're talking about this week. We got some. I bet we did. Jeff Miners wrote in, and he asked, So, this is my number one favorite movie of all time, Apollo 13. Nice. He said, I first watched it when I was 10 years old, and I cried my eyes out the first time I saw the ending. To this day, I still have those same feelings. Now, I know you, Dave. Yours is Wizard of Oz, and Brian's is Truman Show. How old were you when you first saw your respective favorite movie, and compare your feelings then to those feelings now? Wow. Um, my feelings have not changed. I saw the Truman Show the first time in 99, when it came out, right? 99? 98? 99. Something like that. And uh, I was like, oh, this, this movie is amazing. I finally like understood cinema. It unlocked something for me. And uh, still to this day, that movie is unsurpassed in my mind. And for Wizard of Oz, I saw it first time when it came out in 1939. <laughs> and just seeing that change from the sepia tone to the color, it touched my little black and white eyes yeah, in the Depression sure. era, where I'm from, apparently. I could see that. In this bit. I saw it when I was ridiculously young. I watched it with my mommy, and it was terrific, and I still love it, and I still get those warm, fuzzy feelings of nostalgia every time I watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to share it with my kids, but those flying monkeys are creepy as shit, so it's going to be a little (laughs) bit of time. (laughs) Yeah, people underestimate how creepy the flying monkeys are when they first show it to their kids. There you go, Jeff. Next question we have is Mike Lanham. He said, if money wasn't an object and you had the chance to go to space, would you? Elon is waiting. <laughs> Answer for me is absolutely. Uh, I think, I'd, yeah, yeah, I would do it. Probably not with Elon, but with either Bezos or, or definitely with Richard Branson. Come on. <laughs> absolutely, Richard Branson. Uh, you're going to get touched if you go with Branson, for sure. Yeah, in the heart. Yeah, not, you're not going to get the clap. And the last question we have is from Phil Hawkins. He said, never seen this movie. Do you need to watch the previous 12 Apollo movies for it to make sense? <laughs> And on that note, 
Brian, do you have anything else? Uh, no, that is going to be it for me. Fantastic. Thank you guys for listening. Next week, Kyle from the Experience Grind Podcast is going to be joining us for Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> we'll see you then. Dude, Where's My Car? A cinematic masterpiece. See you next week.